This is the word of the Lord. And not only the word of the Lord, it is the story uh, of God sending his son, giving us the greatest gift that any of us could ever receive. Um, God is love. And it was he who sent Jesus to this earth to provide everything that we need in order to come to know him and walk with him and be his children. And I am so excited to begin to talk about that story. But this is also today the story of a young lady, a young mother to be, um, whose life was severely interrupted by God. How many of you love a good interruption? Anybody? I don't. I would much rather go with my plan, but God interrupted Mary's life in a profound way. And as you heard read there, the story of Mary finding out about this plan, um, we just want to take a few moments and sit down in this text today and see what God has to say to us through it. Um, First and foremost, I want you to notice, and I know some of you didn't realize that was the scripture being read when it first started. You just thought, oh, this is the transitional video, and so you went to the bathroom, went and made some popcorn, and, you know, got your beverages. You know, sometimes those videos feel like commercials, but they're really not. Um, That was Luke 1, 26 through 38. I'm going to have it on the screen at times as we're talking about it, so just bear with me here. But the first thing I want you to notice is that As we begin the story in verse 26 of God sharing with us how this story started, he immediately connects it with the story of Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth was a relative of Mary. We don't know how close. Most people say and most translations say that they were cousins. The only reason for that is because the word seems to indicate some family relationship, but we really don't know what kind. And so cousin is probably the best bet or the safest bet. But she is connected to Elizabeth's story, and there's a reason for that that we're going to find out in just a few moments. The angel Gabriel comes to a young, betrothed woman. That's the old word. I think the newer translation says that she was engaged. We probably understand the engaged word better than betrothed, right? How many of you, um, when you got uh, got asked, uh, when you had proposals, said, would you be my betrothed? Did anybody use that terminology? Probably not. Um, In the time that they were living, though, an engagement was a different kind of thing than it was today. Today, all it takes to be engaged is somebody willing to kneel with a ring on a beach, right? Back then, it was a more legal kind of arrangement. In fact, an engagement back then meant that you were legally bound to each other. You were preparing for marriage. And during the time that you were engaged, you would, in a lot of ways, interact like you were married, but you were not to consummate the marriage until after the wedding day. And the Bible indicates that Mary was herself a virgin, that she had not uh, stepped outside of the boundaries of the law of Moses, the law of, of the culture of her time, that she stayed within those boundaries and as such was seen, and Joseph too, as being an upright person, someone who followed the law, someone who obeyed the law, of God and of course man and so Gabriel comes to her this in this almost married condition and gives her the weirdest news any young girl has ever gotten you're gonna have a baby the virgin birth what do we say about the virgin birth the scripture is very clear 
There's no mistaking it. If you believe what the Bible says, you can't get around it. There, there's a lot of people throughout the ages who have tried to reason through the text and say, well, Mary wasn't actually a virgin. They were actually married. And, and certainly, you know, that, that's just part of that story that was kind of overemphasized in the early church. Or maybe you're one of those people that, that sees that the Bible says that, but, you know, we've learned over time to just take some parts of the Bible as literal and some parts of the Bible as figurative. I hope that you're, you know, wincing inside as I say those words because that's not how we handle Scripture here. We believe what the Bible says, but there are those who believe in Christ and even some who believe that Jesus was who he says he was who would doubt the virgin birth of Christ simply because it's a strange part of the story. Because let's be honest, this is not the way things naturally happen, amen? We understand how babies are born. At least, I hope most of you do. And based on our biological growth over the last few years, we seem to have a pretty good understanding of it in this church. But if you're a father, and you have a teenage daughter, and if she were to suddenly come to you and say, Dad, I'm pregnant, your first response would not be, it's a miracle from God. Amen? Your response and mine, too, would be to grab the shotgun and go hunting. I don't have any daughters left to intimidate anybody about now, almost. Well, Dusty's still around. We're not quite there yet. Anyway, that's not the way it normally works. And so it's natural for people to doubt that it happened. Let me reassure you that the Scripture makes no doubt about it. In fact, Luke, who wrote this book, was a physician. Who knows birth better than a physician, right? And not only a physician... But in verse 3 of chapter 1, he goes on to say, I have endeavored in this writing to write a, an accurate account. Those are the words he uses. An accurate account after having carefully investigated everything. In other words, he's literally saying, listen, I know there's been other stories written. I know there's been other accounts. But listen, I'm an educated man and I have researched this thoroughly. And what I am now presenting to you is what I believe is an accurate account of what happened. And Luke, the doctor who did his homework, was the one who said she was a virgin. And so the angel comes to this virgin and he breaks the news that she's going to have a child. Her response is listed in the New Living Translation as, in verse 29, being confused and disturbed. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't you be? I mean, that's a pretty startling announcement to get and then it says she tried to think of what the angel could mean you see um, she wasn't confused and disturbed for long immediately her mind went to the details how in the world could this happen but let me ask you this question have you ever been in a situation in your life where you felt God was calling you to do something and you got a little bit of confused and disturbed as a part of that you ever been there some of you I know are too holy to admit that. Oh no, when God speaks, I always follow faithfully and I never doubt what he says for a moment. I gotta tell you, there have been a few times in my life where confused and disturbed was my response to God's requests. For instance, that moment when we thought we were done having children at four and Tori got pregnant again. Confused and disturbed right there. Let me tell you, how did this happen? I probably asked her. She slapped me at that point. <laughs> she didn't really. 
when we were happily ministering in Defiance, Ohio, and I came out of college believing with all my heart that pastors should stay at churches for a lifetime because I had watched as churches were decimated by pastors moving every two to five years from one church to the next just so they could reuse their sermons, <laughs> not have to... Oh, you guys don't know pastors do that? I just watched as churches were being decimated by people who would come in and never fully invest there. And when we went to the Cornerstone Church in Defiance, Ohio, I was convinced we were going to, my kids were going to graduate high school from the schools there, and they were still tiny. And after about five years, suddenly we began to realize that the tent pegs were being pulled up and that God was saying things to us. And and things were happening in the church that led us to believe that we weren't going to be there long. And I was confused and disturbed. God, you told me, we just bought a house two years ago. <laughs> what are you doing? But it happened in unmistakable ways and we followed the leading of God. And you know what I learned in that moment? That confused and disturbed can sometimes lead to great blessing and fruitfulness if we'll listen and follow. So let me just make it clear that Mary wasn't the only one who gets confused and disturbed when God demonstrates his plan to us because I think a lot of us have been there and it's okay to be confused and disturbed so long as we're willing to follow. It's even okay, okay to ask questions as long as we're willing to follow because Mary asked questions. She had questions. Believe you me, you'd have questions too. How is this going to happen? How can this happen? I am still a virgin. It was a practical question. I'm missing something, angel. <laughs> there is a piece that's missing from the equation. There's a girl and there's supposed to be a boy. I'm a girl. No boy. Something's missing. Something needs to be provided. And the angel answers her question by explaining in detail, this is how it's going to happen. The Spirit of God will come upon you. The Spirit of God will overshadow you. And you will, be, you will conceive from the Holy Spirit and, and gives her the whole nine yards and tells her how everything is going to happen. And yet, in the midst of all of that, we can't help but wonder, was the question okay? And it seems to be. Now, I want you to think for a moment, and we haven't read this, but some of you have read the story before. In the passage before this, we have the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. I, I mentioned Elizabeth earlier, her cousin, so to speak. They were old in, in, or older in, in their um, life. I'm sorry, I can't get the words out. They were well along in age, let's just say it that way, when Elizabeth got pregnant. And the story goes like this. Zechariah was in the temple and God spoke to him and said, y'all are going to have a kid. And Zechariah said, what sign can you give me that it's really going to happen? In other words, his question was one of doubt. And as a question is asked of doubt and as God heard that question, the angel, I think, had a sense of humor because he said, listen, it's going to happen. But since you doubted, you're not talking to anybody until the baby's born. How many of you, when your, your wife got pregnant, wanted to tell people, right? And Zechariah couldn't tell anybody. He had no voice. He couldn't talk until the baby was born. His question was one of questioning, is God really going to do this? Mary's question was not. Mary's question was simply, how is it going to happen? There's, there's a missing piece here. And the angel reassured her that everything that was missing from the equation, God would provide. And listen to me, when God calls you to something, even as strange and weird as it might sound, if there are pieces missing that you need, he will supply what is needed for you to follow his plan. 
that should have got an amen. Am I talking too quietly? Am I putting you to sleep? Is, that the, is it the, the lights? We need to turn the lights up. Anything that you need to follow God's plan, he will provide. He will fulfill what is needed. She's told to call his name Jesus. This is just kind of an aside. I've always wondered about the name Jesus, and it's actually from the Hebrew name Joshua, which I like because I have a son named Joshua. And Joshua means Yahweh is help or salvation. Jesus was, you know, named in a very fitting name. And he goes on to say all of these examples of why this is going to come true. You're going to call him Jesus. Um, he will be holy. He'll be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant. And he uses Elizabeth as an example of God's power. If Elizabeth can conceive in her old age, certainly God can help you conceive in, in your young age. And then in verse 37, he, he says these words, For the word of God will never fail. Now these words are often misunderstood. In fact, the best translation of that statement would really be this. Every word of God shall not be powerless. If you break it down to the Greek, that's really what it says. Every word of God shall not be powerless. Now, the problem is most modern translations, or at least some of them, say it this way. Nothing is impossible with God. Doesn't that sound good? That'll preach, won't it? How many of you have heard a preacher base a whole sermon off those three words? Nothing is impossible with God. That's five words four I don't know it's some words and they're fun to say and they sound great and they're wonderful to preach on because everybody wants to believe that nothing is impossible with God amen dream it you can do it that's not scripture friends that's modern psychology talking you see what it actually says is the word of God will never fail not whatever you can come up with and concoct in your tiny little brain will become possible. And that's what the other phrase makes it sound like. Now, I recognize that the people who translated it, nothing is impossible with God, didn't think that way. They weren't trying to imply that. But friends, I have heard preachers and teachers and even people who don't even believe in the Bible use this phrase to convince you that anything you can think of, anything you can dream, if you just get God on your side, it will succeed. And let me tell you something. It's not about getting God on our side. It's about getting ourselves on his side. His words will never fail. So if you are striving for something that is crazy and ridiculous and God told you to do it, you can be assured that he will provide whatever is needed to make it happen. But if you're just making stuff up, be careful. Because you know what? There's a lot of Christians, a lot of pastors, I will even say, who, who approach their ministry from the standpoint of how do I build the biggest temple I can build and show everybody how holy I am? And that's where the nothing is impossible with God often trips us up. Because we take our dreams and our desires and our wants and throw them out there as if they are God's will. And then we try to get Him behind it. Listen, the word of God will never fail. Absolutely no doubt about that. But make sure that what you're fighting for, what you're striving for, has been spoken by God. Nothing is impossible with God. May be technically true. And it's fun to preach. But it's so easy to misinterpret and misquote that I would really rather we stay with 
The word of the Lord will never fail. I love the way Mary answers all of this after she hears the explanation. She makes two statements kind of in response. It's actually kind of one statement, but two parts. She says simply this, I am the Lord's servant. May the words you have said about me come true. I love the fact that her statement and her response to this is a statement of identity, not of compliance. Have you ever been trying to get your kids to do something and you fight with them and you argue with them because it's something you can tell they don't want to do and they finally say, okay, fine, I'll do it. Anybody else had that experience? I'm the only one. Yeah. Sometimes my wife is the same way. I just, you know, okay, I'll do it. You know, she's just not, doesn't want to be compliant. Let's be clear. She's never compliant, right, honey? I'm very compliant, however, most of the time. But there's a difference between agreeing to do something because you have to and recognize that doing something is actually a part of your identity. I want you to think about this for a minute. It's a statement of identity. I am the Lord's servant. In other words, she knew who she was. She knew that she was God's servant, that everything that he asked of her, everything that he wanted from her, everything that he desired for her in the future was all coming from him, not from her. And because of her identity in Christ, because she knew that she was God's servant, how could she do anything else but do what God asked? Does that, did you see the distinction there? There's a big difference between just doing something because we think God wants us to or we think we have to. And let me tell you something, the church and Christianity in America has been spending a lot of time over the centuries doing things because we think God's gonna get us if we don't. Doing things because God will punish us. Doing things because it's the, the thing that everybody else is doing and we want to look as holy as everybody else, so we just do it. Instead of basing our identity in the fact that we are God's servants. You see, Christianity isn't about agreeing to follow a list of rules and regulations. It's about being a new person in Christ. Becoming something different and as a different person, having a different mindset and a different set of values to the point that when God says jump, we're like, yeah, we'll jump because we know who he is, because we know he loves us, because we know he wants the best for us and we know that his way will always get us closer to where we need to be anyway. It's not out of obligation that we should follow. It's because of our identity in Christ we are his servants. And Mary answers that way. I am your servant. And then she says that second part. May everything that has been spoken about me be true. Now, what did we just say? The word of God will always be faithful. For, for, I can't think of the words now. Okay, it's got me all flustered. The word of, the God, the word of God will never fail. Then she says, you, you see the poetry of this? Let everything that has been said about me the word of God will never fail. Let everything that has been said come true. In other words, she's saying, may the words that you have spoken, that God has spoken about me, may they never fail. She's echoing what the angel just said. You guys don't see the irony in that? I think that's awesome. You know, when God says something to us, we should always answer in a way that resonates with him. God, you want me to do what? That shouldn't really be the end of it. That can be the beginning of it as we figure things out. But we should always answer in a way that resonates with what he says. So Mary, in her own way, agrees to the plan. 
She agrees to this plan by saying, I am the Lord's servant. May all the words you have said about me come true. But what would God have done if she hadn't agreed? You ever think about that? What if Mary said, hmm, not me, angel. Gabriel, you go find somebody else's house to haunt. What if Mary had said, I would prefer you choose someone else because I know what this means. If I get pregnant and I'm not yet married, I know what people are going to say. I know what they're going to think. Joseph is probably going to divorce me. And a betrothal, a, a, um, an engagement required a divorce. Not just, it wasn't just a matter of changing your, you know, your status on Facebook. It was, a, it was actually a divorce. What if she would have said no? Do you think she had a choice? I'm asking you. I think she did. Do you have a choice? When God asks you to do things? Absolutely. Now, friends, here's the thing. This is how weird and big and incredible God is. God knows the outcome of every decision you're ever going to make. But you still have free will. Some of you right now are going, that's impossible, Pastor. No. Nothing is impossible for God. I mean, let the word of God remain forever. Listen, God dwells so far beyond what we can conceive or imagine that he can know what your answer is going to be and every possible outcome and yet still offer you the choice. I don't know what God would have done if Mary would have said no. The important thing for me is for us to remember that when God comes and he has a plan for us, he gives us the option to say yes or to say no. He never forces his hand. He doesn't force people to follow him. Now, there have been some times in the Bible where he suggested strongly, amen? He used a whale once, you remember that? There have been times when God seemed more passionate about moving people in the right direction. But again, God knows the heart of the person. And he knows what's standing between them and following his will and his plan. And I think often God will work in ways that help that person to overcome what is standing between them and his will. Because he knows what we need better than we do. But Mary had a choice. I believe that firmly. And I believe we have a choice. We have a choice when God calls. When, we, when God calls us to do something, he invites us into his plan. He never demands. He lovingly and patiently waits for us to understand. Just as the angel did with Mary. He let her ask questions. He let her be awestruck and confused for a moment. And then he unpacked the plan of God as best he could so that she could understand it. And then he provides every resource that we will need to accomplish his purpose. And we can be sure, as Mary was, that if we are his if we belong to him, then he will call us into his plan at some time or another. And that plan will succeed because his word will never fail. All of this is just biblical talk unless we apply it somewhere. And I'm praying that somewhere along this discourse, God found a way into your heart, each and every one of you, and spoke to you about something. Because there's all kinds of takeaways here. The very fact that 
that uh, Mary was confused and disturbed may strike some of you because you're confused and disturbed almost every time God speaks. And maybe part of your confusion is the fact that you can't believe He's speaking to you because you don't think you're worthy. And let me tell you something, if God comes to you, you're worthy. He's declared all of us worthy by the very fact that He sent Jesus to save us. Love came to save all of us and every one of us. Maybe some of you are having trouble with the whole Word of God thing. Well, does everything God say actually come to pass? Because you know what? In my life, I really felt like God said this and it didn't happen. Friends, keep on praying and seeking until you find the answer. Don't give up because the Word of God will never fail. Maybe you need to respond like Mary did. Maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you're still in that phase of the relationship where you're trying to get out of things. You know, God's trying to make you do things and you're trying to get out of things. And, you know, a lot of marriage relationships go through that, hopefully before you get married, not during, where your spouse is trying to change you in some way and you're resistant to that. And that always leads to discord. If you're married and that's still happening, you need to come see me. Or maybe you shouldn't because I don't know if there's hope for you. Stop trying to change each other. But you know what? That's how some of us are with God. God, I know what you want me to be, but I just don't want to be that right now. Listen, until you accept who you are in your identity in Him, all the service that you do, all the, the, the following that you do will only be just static because you're not who you are in Him. I, I don't know which part of this touches you. I hope something in it does. And I hope that through the story of Mary and through the story of Jesus, that you will find a way deeper into the love that God has for you. Pray with me. Our Father, we come before you today and um, we submit that if you had come to any one of us and asked something as, as incredible as you asked of Mary, regardless of what it might have been, that some of us probably would have balked at that. We certainly would have had questions. We certainly would have been confused I would like to think that most of us would have eventually said <laughs> the same thing Mary said, that we are your servant and we're, of course, because of our identity in you, going to do what you ask. I pray that you would give us the courage to live that way every day, that regardless of what you ask of us, that once we're sure of your plan and we're sure that it's your will, that we would pursue it with all of our might because the word of the Lord will never fail. Father, throughout this Christmas season, help us to catch glimpses of your plan and be open to your leading and your guidance. We know you don't generally send angels anymore, so help us listen for that still small voice. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I didn't talk about this part, so turn, in your, turn to your neighbor and just say, fear not, because that's the general response to an angel. So there you go. And then you can be dismissed. Have a great day.